Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. How are we doing this morning? I just want to point out one thing. I love this fourth row back in the center with all these young guys filling out the role, and Aaron Sherry there as well. Seven young men in the center of the church, all... uh, You know, middle school students, that's pretty cool to see, I think. Matthew chapter 7, I want to read this with you. We'll pray and we'll dig in. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew. They beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Let's pray together and we'll dig in. Father God, we thank you for who you are today. God, as we talk about foundations and where our faith lies, what our stronghold is in the time of storm, God, would you show us? Are we the wise man or are we the fool? God, I pray your Holy Spirit would bring clarity, enable us to see your truth and convict us, give us the courage to make the changes needed. Father, thank you. Jesus, thank you that you are the chief cornerstone. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And God, I pray that we would build our lives on you. God, we thank you for these things today. Give us wisdom and understanding, and then give us courage to act on your word as we hear it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We're talking about foundations today, foundational. And we we kind of know how foundations work, right? Like ever since you were a kid and, and you stacked the blocks, if that first block wasn't level and on a good spot, you couldn't stack really high, right? You had to get that first block right because every other block that you stacked relied on that first block. That foundation was important. And then you build forts and uh, maybe you build tree houses as a kid like I did. And I remember this one tree house in our subdivision in Riverview, New Brunswick. At the end of the road, there was some garbage and some pallets. So we pulled them up into the tree and I got this pallet wedged just perfectly between the branches. And okay, said to my sisters, climb up, it's ready to go. Well, it wasn't ready to go and it fell down. Foundations are important. Are you building on a good and sure foundation. We've learned all these principles over time. We've learned if we're not sure of our footing and we're stepping on the ice or we're stepping on a muddy bank next to a river, well, maybe we've experienced what could happen there. We've fallen and we've realized over time we need to make sure our footing's sure because we don't bounce up as quickly at certain ages in our life stage. Uh, Elsie and I, we've looked through a number of homes. I don't consider myself an expert on homes by any means, but I feel like we've looked through a lot of houses. When we were finding our first house in New Brunswick, when we were looking for a house, uh, when we arrived here in Nova Scotia just a few years ago, 
We've seen some homes. We've seen some uh, foundations. We, uh, we looked at a house with a stone foundation where one of the walls had collapsed in and they had replaced it and jacked the house up and that was like, okay, that's not the house for us. Thank you, God. One of the homes we looked at in New Brunswick, I remember you're looking at your first home, so you're going to take some chances. You're ready to put in some sweat equity. You're young. You have energy. You're kind of foolish and stupid and ignorant all at the same time. Like, we can do this. And you saw this house come up. Look at the price on this house. Elsie, we got to go check this out. So we call the realtor, go check it out. It's one of those homes where they don't give a disclosure and it's being sold under Schedule A conditions, as is, where is. So you know there's something wrong. It's just what is it and can we fix it? So we get into this house and uh, Elsie's serving in Journey Kids this morning, but she would remember the bathroom. We called it the 101 Dalmatian bathroom because it was like black and white everything. Black and white vanity, black and white walls, black and white shower curtain, black and white tiles, just hideous. If you have one of those at home, I apologize. It probably looks better than this one did, but we saw this one and we said, okay, we can fix that. And we walked around, we looked over the terrible flooring, the paint, the wallpaper coming off the walls. But one thing that we pointed out in the front of the house on the front wall, the exterior wall, were all these cracks coming down, vertical, up and down the wall. Well, you know what? I, I can figure out how to mud. We can paint it. we got to change the paint anyway, so we'll figure it out, right? So let's go upstairs. It was one of these back splits. So like you walk in on one level, up to the main level, up to the upper levels. It was just kind of odd. And we get upstairs, same thing. Odd carpet, odd paint color. But at the front of the house, same corner, these vertical cracks continued right up the wall. Okay, well, if I got to figure it downstairs, we'll figure it out upstairs, we'll crack fill it, we'll paint it, we'll be good to go. And the realtor said, you know what, I think I know where those cracks are coming from. And you likely fix the cracks, but they're probably going to appear again because the issue is much deeper. And let's go down to the basement, I'll tell you what we're talking about. So we walk down into this basement, down this back level split, we get down there, one side of the basement looked good, but then as you go under the crawl space level on that backside split, kind of on our, our hands and knees bending down under the floor, there was this horizontal crack in the foundation that you could stick your fingers into and feel the mud on the outside of the house. And I've never seen this before, I don't know if it works, but they had a company come in and put these big screws through the crack, almost like stitching a suture. You know, like all these screws. I don't know if that fixes it or if it's just a Band-Aid. But we looked at that and we thought, yeah, this isn't the house for us. And a lot of the houses in the area were like that. Quispamsis and Rossay is kind of a riverbank built and all of Quispamsis is slowly sliding into the river over time. And, and that showed up on this house and uh, wasn't the house for us. Foundations are important. And the taller the building the more important the foundation. I heard a speaker say when you go into the city and you see a construction site where they're going to build a building, you can usually tell how tall the building's going to be by how deep the site is where they're going to start pouring the foundation, how far down they're preparing and testing the soil. Do you recognize this building? You can probably tell by the CN there. It's kind of gone through some changes. It looks a little different at the top with the skywalk around the outside. The CN Tower at once was the tallest building in the world at over 500 meters high. I think it was 550 some meters in Canada, Toronto, Ontario. 
the CN Tower. I just want to read a little bit about its foundation. Some of you guys will find this interesting. Maybe girls too, I don't know. Um, when engineers started to plan the foundation of the CN Tower, they were breaking new ground in more ways than one. Never before had anyone been faced with the task of designing a base so far into the ground, and they came up against many construction challenges unique to this project. After an elaborate series of tests in the soil to assess the condition of the bedrock and determine that it wouldn't react to changes in hydrostatic pressure, the work was ready to begin. On February 6, 1973, anybody remember this? You watched it on the news or anything? No? Uh, hundreds of people engaged in a historic enterprise moved in and started to carve out the launching pad for the world's tallest building at that point. They removed, now get these measurements. I have no idea what these measurements mean. I don't know, Sean, Pat, maybe you guys know more about what these measurements mean, but listen to this. They removed 62,000 tons of earth. Is that a lot? That's a lot. Uh, they removed earth and shale before pouring a thick concrete and steel foundation 22 feet deep on a base of hand and machine smooth shale. Supporting the world's tallest building is a tall order, and by the time it was finished, the Y-shaped foundation contained 9,200 cubic yards of concrete, 500 tons of reinforcing steel, and 40 tons of thick tensioning cables. The thoroughness and speed at which the foundation was laid is noteworthy. The complete foundation was in place just four months after the first spade of earth had been turned. Has anybody been to the CN Tower? You've been to the top? Oh, all kinds of people. Awesome. I remember being up at the top, class trip, I think it was, back in grade 8 when we were living in Ontario. And I don't know if it was the tour guide or if it was a sign on the wall. It said that the top of the CN Tower, in the wind, over 550 meters up in the sky, can sway up to 2 meters in distance. That big structure, that's... What is that, like seven, eight feet, something like that? Two meters back and forth, the top of that building sways. That blows my mind. You've got to start with a good foundation. So we just read Matthew chapter 7. Uh, we're going to look at Luke chapter 6 in just a moment. But this is the parable that Jesus gives at the tail end of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever walked the earth. Up on the mountain, the crowds gathered, seated in the grass, the Beatitudes. Uh, they were he was teaching on anger, lust, divorce, retaliation, loving your enemies, generosity, fasting, treasure in heaven, seeking first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Judge not that you be not judged. Do unto others what you would have them do unto you, the golden rule. The best sermon ever preached by the best preacher Whoever walked the earth. At the end of the sermon, Jesus paints this picture of these two men, the wise man and the fool. So I want to compare them first before we contrast them, because I think they have a lot in comparison, maybe more than we realize at first glance. So we have verses 24 and 26 from Matthew chapter 7. Very similar in wording, right? Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Verse 26. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. Let's talk some comparisons. They both built a house. That's an easy one, right? 
They both had a dream. They had a desire. They had a drive. They had a project. In Scripture, the house is symbolic of several things. April referenced one of them today, but there's a personal aspect to the house, like getting your household in order. The Bible calls us the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul references our body like a tent, a place to house the Spirit. So there's a personal, individual level to the picture of the house. Maybe this is what you picture in the parable, like building castles in the sand. You shouldn't build your life on a shifting foundation. Maybe that's your first thought. It's all about a person's life. Two men with hopes and dreams of building a life, foundations for life. People's lives crumble and fall all the time. We see it. These guys wanted to build a life, a life for themselves. Houses speak of family. There's the house of Jacob, the house of Joseph, your father's house. There's a safe space for your family to live in, to grow, to thrive. You want a solid home. You want a good foundation on which to raise your kids, to build your marriage, your relationships. These two men were likely wanting to see family fill that home. The house also speaks of the house of the Lord, the church, the household of faith the tent of meeting. Bring all of your tithes into my storehouse that there may be food in my house, God says. God refers to the gathering place of faith, the body of believers as his house. Now, I didn't know if these men were thinking church when they started building, but Jesus sure was, right? Matthew 16, he looks at Peter and he says, now you're going to be called Peter. For on this rock, I will build my church. On this rock, I will build my church. On this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There's the parable right there in reference to the church. And the house could refer to the nation, the house of Israel, Bethlehem, the house of bread, Bethel, the house of God. It could refer to your community that you live in, the Colchester County, this town that we're in, the city, our nation. These are places, people, communities, culture, countries. Throughout the Old Testament, nations are referred to with this term house, building a solid and sure nation. What does the foundation of our nation look like these days? Foundation nation. I should have played with that a little more. I didn't think about that until right now. It's interesting how many times in the book of Genesis and uh, the following Old Testament books that People show their character and their choices. They get themselves in trouble. They run off and then they establish a place, a people, a nation. And then that nation carries the same characteristics and issues that the founder had when he ran there and established that town generations before. Isn't that funny? The way he started the nation is the way that the nation was generations after. Think of Cain. Cain murders his brother. God speaks with him. Cain leaves. He establishes a city. He has a son. Generation after generation. And then you get to Lamech. And Lamech says, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's revenge is 77-fold. You see how the issues, the values, the morals, the corruption, it just perpetuates through the generations and the way that the place starts is basically the way that the place will be because it's founded on a foundation 
Maybe when these two builders in Jesus' parable, they sat down to plan, to dream, they didn't see that far down the road, maybe. Maybe they were just thinking, you know, I want some comfort from the rain, need some shelter from the coming storm, so uh, they were thinking more about the moment. But we know better. We know the story, don't we? Here's the thing. What you are thinking right now is shaping and building whatever you are constructing as a life right here, right now. How you spoke to the people that you work with, the people that you live with this past week is shaping and building what those relationships will be over time. The time you're spending in God's word, the time you're investing in your church family, the time that you take for spiritual disciplines is shaping and forming and building on a foundation something. We're always building. Well, Josh, it's a terrible time to build. The cost of labor and the cost of resources and it's a terrible time to buy as well, so I don't know what you should do. No, we're all building something right now. Um, I like the phrase that words create worlds. You are building, creating, developing right now with your thoughts, your words, your actions, your time. You're building your house whether you are conscious and intentional about it or not. Um, Elsie pointed out that uh, on Sundays, since we've gone online, I try and make it my aim to pull out my phone and engage with our online community, all the folks at home who are participating right now in that camera right there along with us, and we are so glad to have them. But on Sundays during the worship time, maybe you've seen me do this, maybe you thought, why is Pastor Josh on his phone during the sermon? And I'm conscious of that. It's a weird thing. But I want to interact with the people at home who are participating that we love and value and care for. And Elsie mentioned that, um, you know, the kids are in with us for three songs. So what kind of understanding of corporate church worship are you giving them if they look over and daddy's on his phone? I thought, shoot. <laughs> we're building wor worlds, whether we know it or not, whether we're intentional and conscious about it or not. I don't know, maybe your language with your family and friends is in church, we got to be quiet, shh. The other comparison I want to make between these guys, which is one that I didn't think about right off the bat, and Dr. Tony Evans pointed it out, it, it seems so basic and straightforward. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like this man. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like this man. They both had access to the same truth to the same teaching. They sat in the same church and listened to the same message from the same preacher. And guess what? It wasn't that the preacher failed them and did a terrible job and was boring and his illustrations were way out there and he couldn't land the plane so he just stopped and walked off stage. 
like sometimes I do. They had Jesus, the best preacher who ever lived, preaching the best sermon that has ever been preached, and they listened and sat in on it. The guys who hear these words, they had the same truth. That blows my mind. I don't know why I never thought about this before. Both of these builders had the same truth. They heard the same sermon. They both knew the right stuff. They knew the truth. They were presented with it the same way. If you've got Jesus as a teacher, you know you're going to have some solid, biblical, theological, strong teaching, right? It's not the teacher's fault. It's not the fault of the sermon. It's not that the truth was lacking. They had the same truth. That scares me to death. I think that people can have the same Solid teaching from a solid Bible teacher. They can be exposed to the truth every Sunday. They can sit in their seat. They can listen. Maybe they can even take notes. Maybe they can even tell me what I spoke on two weeks ago. That would blow my mind most of the time, honestly. I just kind of want people to catch one thing and be able to remember it and live that out on Monday. That's, that's a win for me. But people can sit in the same church, hear the same message side by side, and one of those lives can fall apart. That scares me to death. How does that work? How do two people with the same message end in total opposite places? Here's where the similarities between these two guys end. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, be like the wise man. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man. The power of God's word is in the doing. The magic, if you will, the transformational element of the Bible is in acting it out and doing what it says, putting your money where your mouth is. That's probably another one that I shouldn't use from the stage, but walking the talk. James says, being doers of the word and not hearers only. That sounds exactly like what Jesus is saying here, acting on the principles of the word of God. You see, the Bible is a collection of 66 books by 40 different authors over a period of 2,000 years that's brought together in this nice leather-bound, numbered page, chapter, title, book, collection of books that you can sit on your shelf and it can accomplish nothing. Man, and you can take it out every Sunday and dust it off and carry it under your arm and you can give it all of the position and you can give it all the praise and we can stand in here on Sunday and say, God's truth, we value truth, we're all about truth, we're going to listen to truth for 45 minutes and then we're going to sing about truth through three songs. Then we're going to have announcements that talk about how we're going to get the truth to the community and how we're going to embrace truth in community together and how we're going to engage in the truth. And we can talk about it and talk about it and talk about it. But man, talk can be cheap, can't it? You go home, you put that book on the shelf. That book, and it seems so wrong for me to say this, has no power on the shelf. The power is in the application, in the doing, building our lives on the foundations of the truth of this book, living out the golden rule, actually loving our enemies, actually seeking first the kingdom of God, these things that Jesus 
teaches and preaches through the Sermon on the Mount. You know what? That book may be powerless on the shelf, but you put it into the hands of a young man or woman who takes the time to invest in it early in life. I'm not saying it's too late for anybody that they can't start doing this, but early in life when they're seeking to set foundations, that person has the power to change the world. I truly believe that. Isn't that where the power of the word of God lies? Are we guilty of turning it into a pretty leather-bound book that looks good on the shelf sitting in my dining room that I pull out on Thursday night for life group and Sunday morning when it's time to preach? I actually don't even have it right here, right now. I typically don't carry my physical Bible. It's sitting on the shelf at home right now. Actually, it's on the dining room table, so that's a step in the right direction. But, man, the Word of God is powerless when we sit it on the shelf. But it's got all the power in the world to somebody who will actually take the time to build their life and use it as a foundation for faith and practice. Isn't that what our Constitution, our statement of faith say? The Bible the foundation for faith and practice. The two builders exemplify this. Jesus calls one the wise man, the other the foolish man. Now, when he calls somebody a fool, that's not necessarily a derogatory term, like we would shake our hand out the window of the car and say, you fool. It's actually a textbook term about somebody who fails to apply the truth. Somebody who overlooks the knowledge they have in making a decision, whereas the one who's wise applies truth to the decision. The fool is the one who knows the truth but fails to apply it when it's decision time. The wise man is the one who also knows the truth, but when it comes time for a decision, he applies that truth. Doesn't just go with the flow, doesn't just do what comes easy. The foolish man wasn't crazy. He didn't have a mental illness, I don't think, that was causing him to do this. He simply overlooked the truth when it came time to build. You see that all the time in school. Same class, same teacher, same room, same course, same lessons, same test, different results. Again, it's not that the wise man knew more. It's not that he was more educated. It's not that he had some sort of secret truth that the foolish man didn't. They had the same access to the same truth. They both heard it, same time, from the same teacher, from Jesus. Can you imagine sitting in on Jesus' sermon and then not acting on it? The transformative factor was seen in how they chose to apply what they had learned. So the wise man builds his house on the rock. I want to demonstrate this. Am I walking off camera? I am, aren't I? Apologize to all those folks online. This is how I picture this. The foolish man, isn't that cute? He builds his house in the sand. Then the wise man, well, he's smart. He doesn't want to be down here on the beach with this fool. Come on, he's going to climb way up on this rock. Just 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 ever so slightly taller than this guy, just so he can kind of look down on him, you know? This is the way I picture it. Isn't that how you picture it? 
Turns out this is the way a lot of people picture it. Now, I did some quick research online. I glanced through YouTube. There's all these kids' stories. This is the image. The fool built his house way down here on the beach where the tide comes in. He's going to get washed away. What a guy, right? Did he not think? Did he not sit there at least for 6, 12 hours just to see where the tide line was? Like, come on. Must not have been from Nova Scotia. And then the wise man is like, well, I'm not going to be down there with that guy on his level. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not going to be down there with the common folk. I know better. I'm going to climb way up here just so I can kind of look down and see his misery. But I'm safe. I'm untouchable up here. I'm not down here with the common. I'm way up here. I'm safe. I'm secure. This guy's going to get it. He's in for it, but I'm, I'm way up here. This is how I picture it. Is that how you picture it? I asked my life group on Thursday night about this parable. That's how they pictured it. That's how I pictured it. I don't think that's what Jesus was saying. The wise man builds his house on the rock. The foolish man builds his house in the sand. We don't know how long. We don't know the cost. We don't know the effort. We don't know the sacrifice that it took to make that happen. But we can make a few assumptions, right? Let's talk about down here in the sand. Man, on the beach, life is good, right? Can't you just wait for beach season? Yeah, get your lawn chair down there by the water, get a good book, get your sunshade on, you know, and you got your feet in the sand. And what happens when you wiggle your toes in the wet sand? The sand just kind of eats them, right? I like that. The beach is good. It's fun. It's easy. You fall down, the sand kind of catches you. You're nice. It's, it's warm. It's just, it's easy. Life's a beach. I love the beach. I grew up on the beach. Pugwash, Nova Scotia, right? Loved it. Loved those sand flats. Man, the tide would go out and we'd have baseball fields. We'd have mazes. We'd have sand castles. It was awesome. Great memories. Love that. Can't wait to go this summer and enjoy it. Sand is easy. Initially. My kids love their sandbox. Sand is easy to manipulate, right? Jade's making a garden in the sandbox. Reese has his dump trucks going through the sandbox. They have whole cities built by the end of the afternoon. And the rain comes through and washes it away, and they start all over again. But rock, on the other hand, rock's hard, right? Isn't that revolutionary? Somebody write that down. Rock is hard. <laughs> it's not the easy route. It takes time. It takes work. It takes tools. It's heavy. You've got to measure. You've got to be precise, because once you cut that rock... It's probably not going to change for a long, long time. Have you ever moved rock? Have you ever cut into rock? It's hard work. The church we were part of in New Brunswick um, didn't have the beautiful property that we have here. Man, we are blessed with all this property that we can use and we can develop and, and manipulate, move the, move the land around, great soil. In New Brunswick, we were kind of built into the side of this riverbank that I mentioned. There was this big stone ridge that went right across Quispamsis, and you could see the houses built up to it, and then no houses, and then the houses built down over the other side because you couldn't manipulate the rock and make it work. The church we were a part of uh, had this great idea before we arrived to put a soccer field in up in the back. And man, wouldn't it be great if we could bless our community with a soccer field, a sports field that we can use, which we get to do now, which is awesome, 
So they had this idea, let's start this soccer field. So they got some guys from the church, some equipment. They started plowing down trees. They marked out the space. They started digging and thud. That's where the project ended. Because to blast out that rock and make a soccer field, <laughs> that's just not going to happen. It's not in the budget. It's not in the schedule. We're not going to make that happen. I bet the foolish man just went right to work, right? He pulled up with his truck. He dropped off some of his supplies, and he just went right at it. Found a level spot on the beach. He started putting a hammer to nail. I bet by the end of the first day, he had something. I bet by the end of the first week, he had the floor built out and studded, plywood. He had the walls studded up. I bet the trusses were being dropped off. I bet in just a matter of weeks, he had that thing framed up and ready to go. And then I bet this foolish man was looking over at this wise man and thinking like, I am so far ahead of this guy. What a, why would he pick that spot? There's so many rocks in the way. Does he not know how hard that ground is? Why doesn't he come down here in the sand? It's easy. I'm working my bare feet. This is great. And the wise man, he just looks like he's walking around, thinking, writing stuff down. He keeps leaving and coming back with other people asking their opinion, asking their wisdom, their counsel. He takes more measurements. He writes more things down. Looks like he's praying. Looks like he's just sitting. Looks like he's just waiting. What is he waiting for? I'm so far ahead of this guy. I can only imagine. I know it's a parable and this didn't actually happen. This is one of Jesus' illustrations. This is how I picture it. But I don't think this is how Jesus pictured it when he gave it. Because in Luke chapter 6, Luke being the doctor, he gives us some different details that Matthew did not. Luke chapter 6, uh, let's see here, starting in verse 46. It's the same story, the end of the same Sermon on the Mount, recorded from Luke, same parable. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like. Here's what he's like. Verse 48. He's like a man building a house who dug deep. I love that. Few versions say dug down deep, which is the title of my message this morning. Dug down deep. And he laid the foundation on the rock. Some versions say bedrock. I love that. When a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears the word and does not do them is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately fell, and the ruin of that house was great. I think Jesus pictured it a little more like this. I think they came to the same spot. They built a very similar house cute little chimney and a little window and a door. But the wise man, before he started building, he took the time to dig down deep. He found the bedrock and he laid a short foundation before constructing his house on it. And I think if we could find these houses today, like there were some houses in some subdivision around here, you could drive by. I don't think you'd be able to tell them apart on a good day. I think they'd look just about the same. They'd probably have similar driveways, similar cars in the driveway. They'd be in the same neighborhood, same postal code. Maybe they even get together and their kids bounce on each other's trampolines. They have barbecues in the summer. Who knows? 
all hypothetical, of, of course, but I think they would look very much the same. The other thing about having the wise man up on the rock and this idea that he's out of the storm is that it doesn't tie in with what Jesus said. They both faced the same storm, the same wind, same rain, the same floodwaters. They both went through the storm. Just because you're a Christian, just because you know the truth, just because you come to, to Sunday service, just because you're part of a life group, doesn't mean that you're going to avoid the storms in life. You're going to go through all the same storms that everybody else does. The difference being, you should have a sure and firm foundation on which you've built your life. So that when the wind comes, when the rain comes, when the storm comes, the flood rises, your house will stand strong because it was well built on a sure and steady foundation. You know what? For the last two years, we've faced the same storms as our communities have. Uh, we've been through the pandemic. We've been through the shootings. We're seeing inflation, gas prices, grocery prices, economy, the housing market. We're going through all that stuff too. You know, sometimes we get referred to as the church up on the hill. Just because you're part of a church that's facility is located up on a hill doesn't mean you're going to avoid the storms in life. We've been through all these storms. Noah faced the same flood. He just chose to act on God's truth. Joseph faced the same famine as the rest of Egypt. He just chose to act on God's truth. David faced the same Goliath that the Israelites had been standing and looking at across the valley for how long? But he said, I come to you in the name of the Lord God. And the situation changed. Just because we've given our life to Jesus doesn't mean we're spared from the storm. The wise man and the fool are alike. They both face the storm. Their houses probably look similar. But the wise man dug down deep. I just want to finish by saying three things about the storm. Storms reveal weaknesses, don't they? When you're in the storm, I don't know about you, but I like to walk around my house and check things out. Because in the midst of a storm, it's a good opportunity to see where all the weak points are. How's the roof looking? The shingles holding on? Is that cap on the top of my chimney that blew off in the snowstorm, is it holding on now that I've tightened it up? How about the foundation in the basement? Are there any leaks coming in like there were in our previous home in New Brunswick that we had to speak to because when it rained, the water came in the foundation? How about the windows? Are they drafty? Are there any drips? You start looking around the yard. Are there any spots where it's puddling and pooling up against the foundation of the house? Are there any issues that I've got to speak to that you can only see when you're in the storm? The rest of the time, the house just looks as good as every other house on the street, right? Until the storm comes. What about the snow load? Another thing the storm does is it reveals strengths. You don't really know if the roof is going to support the snow load until the snow is actually on the roof. You can do all the prep, you can do all the planning, you can take all the measurements. I don't know how that stuff works, but you really don't know until that snow is laying on the roof of the house. You really don't know if the foundation is going to leak or not until that water comes up against it and it proves itself true. The storm reveals strengths. Um, I shared this quote in the, uh, the little blurb that we send out in our newsletter every Thursday. It's from Martin Luther King Jr. 
1963, he wrote the title Strength to Love, a volume of some of his most well-known sermons that he had published. It says, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. Sometimes we use the picture of the tube of toothpaste. You really don't know what's in there until you squeeze it, right? And what's on the inside, buried deep within, which you don't see on a good day, comes out when the pressure's on. Paul said we are, we are pressed around on every side, crushed, perplexed, not abandoned. Storms also, and this is the last thing, storms help to shape our faith. We can agree with all the truth we want here in this room with the air circulating and the lights on and uh, it's just kind of nice, right? It's comfortable. It's easy. But when we step out in life, we get to experience these truths that we've come into agreement with, we've chosen to build our life on, when we get to experience the storm and see how God is faithful through the storm, changes how we view the storm the next time, doesn't it? Chances are the next storm will be bigger, more difficult. I've heard Craig Rochelle say numerous times through this pandemic that about every 10 years, you're going to face like a major problem in your life and in your leadership, major issue. He talked about the bombings in Oklahoma. He talked about this pandemic that we're going through. He talked about 9-11. He said, you can pretty much bank on it. Every 10 years, there is going to be a big thing that comes through your life. That's proven true in my life. Has it in yours? These hard times, these storms that come through that we all face because we're not up here on this rock out of the storm. We're down in it with everybody in our community. These storms reveal the strength of the foundation that we've built our life on. I don't know how true it is, but I've heard people say that old houses over time, they, they settle into their foundation. Is that true? We've looked at numerous old houses, century homes. We looked at one here in the village that was 200 years old. And there were areas of the foundation that had settled over time. And our building inspector said, you know what? That's just a given with older homes because over time, they settle into their foundation. Storms help us to settle into our foundation. We build the foundation on the principles of the word of God. When we face those storms in life and we see that God is faithful, whew, it's just kind of a, a breath of air, an exhale. The foundation that we built our life on has rung true yet again. We were talking in our board meeting that Alex mentioned yesterday uh, about mentorship, leadership development, our mission as disciples, making disciples. There are people who are on this journey ahead of us who have gone through some storms in life. They've made some mistakes, some poor choices. They've done some things right. And now they can look back to the next generation and say, you know what? I tried that. And here's how it turned out. And maybe you'd be wise in following my example, the storms of life that I've been through and the foundations that I built my life on so that you can be prepared for some of those storms in life. I just want to close with this. I didn't put it up on screen. Um, God brought this first to my attention this morning, and I love it. It just ties together what we've been talking about. Colossians chapter 2, 
verses 6 and 7. It says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. You agree with the truth, practice the truth. You've received the talk, now walk the walk. Be a doer of the word, not just hearers only. Verse 7 says, rooted and built up. I love how rooted is first, right? Dug down deep, a sure-footed foundation, and then built up. Established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And I pray that we would be a church that as we go through the storms of life like we have the last couple years, that not only would it be a testimony to the community around us that, wow, their house stood the storm. Wow, they had peace in the storm. Wow, they had answers that went beyond the confusion of this life. Wow, they have a hope that extends past the clouds that are haunting our days. The other thing I hope and pray as a church is that we would continue to build and flesh out the foundational elements of our faith. And we wouldn't jump to all the little accoutrements that we hang around the front to give the house a nice curb appeal or look good to the people around us, but that we really spend time digging deep and rooting and grounding ourselves in the faith. And then the final thing I would say is that... Um, as other houses around us do collapse and the pressure is on and times aren't easy, times are difficult and it's easy in a storm to try and protect your own house and put out the sandbags and tie down the whatever you might tie down on your house and get ready for the storm in the storm. Maybe there's people around you in that storm whose basements are flooding. There's people around you whose, whose roofs are leaking. There's people around you whose homes are collapsing under the weight of snow in the snowstorms that we have here in Atlantic Canada. And maybe there's an opportunity for us to speak into. People are looking for hope. People are looking for truth. People are looking for a sure-footed foundation. And one thing the storms of this life and this world do and the confusion and the mess that's out there these days and people just choosing to be anything they want and speak their truth and live their truth, but it's all eroding from underneath them, we have the opportunity to say, we have a sure-footed foundation that you can build your life on. Jesus Christ is that chief cornerstone. Storms provide great opportunities, and I want to leave you with that thought. Would you pray with me as we close this morning? Father God, I want to thank you for who you are. Thank you for this beautiful parable that you preached at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And God, it gives me great hope that the best preacher in the world can preach the best sermon and people can still get it wrong and miss the point. But God, it's also such a cautionary tale that scares me to my core that even though I may know the right things, if I fail to apply them and live by the truths and the principles that are in the word of God, that my house could come falling down. God, I pray that we would be building our lives on a sure foundation. Thank you that you are faithful through the storm. Thank you that you were with the disciples in that storm. You slept in the storm. You had such 
a foundation of faith in the fact that when you said you'd get to the other side, you knew it would take place. And as those disciples cried out for their life and asked why you did not care, you took the opportunity to show them that they need to found their life on the principles of your word. They need to trust you when you say how it's going to be. God, help us to trust you when you speak in your word. God, thank you for how you've spoken to us today. Pray we go from this place and not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. God, thank you for who you are today, for your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.